Welcome to Avocado Knits, where we talk about knitting, of course, and stories, and rats, and anything else that strikes my fancy. Come on in. Today's topic, vampires, or wampires, however you say it in German. My dear young maiden clingeth, unbending, fast and firm, to all the long-held teaching of a mother ever true. As in vampires unmortal, folk on the tizzes portal, heduk-like to believe. But my Christine, thou dost dally, and wilt my loving parry, till I myself avenging to a vampire's health a-drinking, him toast in pale tokay. And as softly thou art sleeping, to thee shall I come creeping, and thy life's blood drain away. And so shalt thou be trembling, for thus shall I be kissing, and death's threshold thou'lt be crossing with fear in my cold arms. And last shall I thee question, compared to such instruction, what are a mother's charms? Ooh, creepy. What a jerk. <laughs> this guy's a loser. <laughs> so it's unclear to me whether he's a vampire to begin with or whether his threat is that since Christine will not come and be his woman, that he's going to go become a dramp, become a vampire, and they will, he will toast the vampire with this wine, tokay, uh, and then he'll come and not just ravish her, but he'll kill her in her sleep. He'll take her into death, and his kiss is the vampire's kiss that draws out all of her lifeblood. And his, he says, when he does this, he's going to say, and so... How does this compare to all that your mother taught you, or all that your mother can give you? Which I think is a bit arrogant, really. <laughs> He's saying, <laughs> death with me is better than your boring life that you're going to have following your mom's advice. So uh, this is der Vampire, or der Wampir. I'm not sure about the rules on V's and W's in German. I used to know I have German uh, heritage, but I'm afraid I haven't spoken anything in, in German for a long time, so I, I don't know. Uh, but it's by Heinrich August Ossenfelder, and it was uh, published in 1748. And the Tiza is a river in Hungary, and a Hajduk is a, um, I get I get different definitions when I look different places, but basically it's a kind of soldier. Uh, around 17th and 18th century Hungary, um, 1600s, 1700s, and, uh, and as I said, the tokay is a type of wine. The music, by the way, just before the poem, is by Icefixia, and it's called Vampire Theme. <laughs> it's interesting to see how this idea of the vampire has stayed so consistent throughout the hundreds of years um, or thousands of years that we have access to recorded history, which reminds me a bit of what Bella did when she looked up vampires when she was suspecting Edward was a vampire. She went and looked him up online, at least in the movie. I've not read the books yet, I must confess. And now, of course, I'm going to get email from people saying, you must read the books. Um, and I'm going to. I've checked out the first from the library. I have seen the first movie, which was okay. It was a, a, an okay piece of uh, cinematic work. The story, I think, is an interesting one, which is why I wanted to podcast about vampires today. It's interesting because <laughs> having 
learned to analyze uh, literature and find out what makes it tick and what the basic premises are behind each um, bit of story we tell, I cannot help but notice that the vampire romance is essentially a rape fantasy. I know, it's gross. <laughs> but if you think about it, not in terms of, of Twilight for just a second, which I know you adore, um, if you think about it in terms of just the regular vampire romance, it has an awful lot in common with a particular kind of Harlequin novel. Now, I, I think if you like Harlequin novels, then you have a perfect right to. There are a, quite a range of the of Harlequin genres, but I'm going to talk to you about one that I came across when I was working in a public library <laughs> in the basement this particular day. I was not usually assigned to work on the bookmobile, which for those of you who live in an area where you don't have a bookmobile, uh, it's a a bus, basically, or a small caravan that travels around the countryside or travels around the city with items from the library so that people who cannot get physically to the library can still have access to some of these services that the library has to offer. And because they can't fit everything from the library in this bus, they switch the things out every once in a while. So my job that night was to switch a bunch of stuff out from the, the bookmobile, and I had to change some of the cards that were in the pockets of the books. And as all of these Harlequin novels were part of the section that I was cycling, I thought I would read the backs of them. I'd used to read Harlequins when I was about 12 or 13, and read a number of them. <laughs> My mother and my grandmother had them, and after they noticed me reading them voraciously, they started hiding them from me because there were little sex scenes and stuff in there. And then later, when I, in my teens, developed a very strong sense of, of right and wrong, I would go and I would steal my, my mother and my grandmother's uh, uh, harlequins or other novels that had little bits of of uh, salaciousness in them, and then I would throw these books away. <laughs> I wouldn't ask them, I would just throw these books away. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> my attitude changed a little bit, but I thought, hmm, I used to read these. Let's see what is going on. And I was very surprised to find that these particular romances that I was cycling through the bookmobile were mostly about rape. Every one of them involved a woman of limited means, a sort of ragamuffin heroine who was virtuous and good or strong, brave, that sort of thing. And there was always a man who was powerful, rich, or in some other way admirable. Maybe he was a genius or he was her boss. In any case, he had more power than she did. But her power over him was that she was irresistible in spite of herself. She never set out to entrap the man. He, though, was drawn to her with such force that he had to overcome all of his principles and ravish her. Later on, of course, he would uh, come together with her permanently, make her his wife. Uh, if she'd had a baby from the, the being ravished, being raped, then he would make that child the heir to his empire. And of course, all would then end well. A vampire story, vampire romance, is one in which a woman, a young woman, often, <laughs> is tantalizing without meaning to be tantalizing, is so desperately beautiful or desirable that the vampire cannot stay away and he must do everything he can to have her. And usually he does not have her sexually, although I suppose that could be part of the story as well. He drains her of her life's blood, of her essence the essential part of her being. And then she is changed by that experience and receives 
all that the vampire has. It's a twisted kind of romance. Just a minute, I have a rat here. <laughs> he needs lots of attention. <laughs> and so it's twisted. And yet, we love it. And I think the reason we love it is because we put ourselves in that protagonist's place. That woman who is so irresistible. And we want to feel that we are irresistible. We want to be someone who is so innocently desirable that a powerful being, either a being of darkness or a being of lots of money <laughs> and power, um, is willing to do anything he needs to in order to have us, in order to possess us, but also who will take us out of ourselves and give us a new way of life. I have to admit, I saw Twilight and, you know, it's not the best done movie in the world. And I'm not a teenager, <laughs> you know? but Edward, oh my goodness. And it's not just because he's a pretty boy. Uh, just the idea of this tormented soul who c hoped to be able to find some sort of healthy relationship with Bella uh, and was willing to um, deny some of those most basic parts of himself in order to have that relationship and to protect her, to dedicate himself to protecting her. Oh my, that got me. But I think that is what saves the Twilight story, that reticence, that dedication that Edward demonstrates toward Bella's well-being, that is what makes it the kind of story we can get behind and, and embrace in the modern day and say, I would like to live in this world, dangerous as it is. Because here, in this poor teenage boy locked in being a teenager for ever and ever. Here is someone who is designed to be a predator and yet he actually understands what it means to be truly and deeply in love.
That was Oh, You Make Me Cry by Stephen Cartier. And now we cheerfully come to the knitting, crochet, sewing, and other crafts portion of our program. If you would like to make your own vampire lover, I have the book for you. It's called Creepy Cute Crochet, Zombies, Ninjas, Robots, and More. And within, you will find instructions for how to create the dream monster, ghoul, or other ordinarily icky kind of lover of your choice. I say lover in a really sort of loose way. <laughs> These particular uh, creations will end up being maybe four inches tall and uh, they don't have any arms and legs so they're not capable of much loving but they'd sure look cute sitting on your desk or uh, they would be a, a wonderful demonstration of affection for a loved one. This is this book is by Kristen Hayden and it is um, published by Quirk Books in Philadelphia in 2008. It looks like it would be, let's see, $14.95 in U.S. currency. And the creatures you can create include the devil, Nosferatu, a queen vampire, a Chuthlu, <laughs> I don't know how you say it, but it's a really exciting um, alien type thing. Um, I'd love to make one. A skeleton bride and groom, Medusa, a fuzzy alien, a cleric, and this is not a happy friendly cleric, this is the kind that bashes um, monsters over the head with his uh, cross and whatnot, an Amazon, a corporate zombie, which <laughs> I adore and think I'll I just have to make for my husband sometime. A Grim Reaper, a Trojan, a Spartan, a Cyber Zombie, a Knight, a Ninja, a Day of the Dead gal and fellow, a monkey and a robot. And uh, I have to say, after starting to make one of these creatures, that the instructions are probably great for people who crochet a lot. I do not crochet a lot. This was I think the second thing that I've crocheted in <laughs> 30 years. Uh, so I was uh, pulling out my crochet reference book and uh, I borrowed a couple of them from the library just in case I didn't have uh, an instruction in one that might be in another. And uh, it took me a while to figure out how to read the diagrams for one thing, but also uh, the, the tricky bits are not marked out in the written instructions. It doesn't say tricky bit coming up here or remember this, remember to hold on to this or remember to keep this um, going this direction or that going that direction. It just gives you the plain instructions and and so it's a good thing that there is the diagram there because otherwise it would be really hard to puzzle out once you've lost your way. I had to, uh, on the one that I've been working on, I had to take the body um, down several several rows and start over again so I could figure out what the heck was going on and uh, same with the head which is actually worked from side to side and not up and down and she doesn't tell you that she doesn't say hey uh, by the way in case you're expecting the rows to go straight up for the head like they did for the body uh, nope you work it side to side and head is like a little football you work it from point to point so that would have been nice to know. Other than that, it actually has been working out pretty well. Um, I have been able to find my place every time. You are going to need some extra equipment if you want to make these little dolls. Um, I, they're sort of in the genre of amigurumi, but um, it doesn't say that they are on the cover. I'm just classifying them there myself. You'll need some Sculpey or other kind of uh, plastic dough, uh, plastic clay, uh, for the eyes and the weapons and stuff like that. You're going to need some stuffing, and you're probably going to need some um, little beads, like heavy beads, to put inside the doll's base so that it doesn't fall over. And sh Kristen suggests a thing called poly pellets, which is basically 
little plastic beads. And uh, I'm not so happy about using what looks like bits of PVC, since PVC is pretty bad stuff. But what the heck, it's a little doll that isn't going to be played with very much, since it's not for children. And, uh, you know, hey, it makes it stand up. <laughs> there go all my principles, out the window. And besides my glorious, tiny, frightening doll from the creepy cute crochet book, I am also working on a sweater. Um, not worked on a sweater for a while, again, I've been busy. And when I came to use my Denise interchangeable needles, I found that they had actually gotten so old. It's not that I um, hadn't used them in the past several months, it's just that I think finally they got to the point where they would bend when I used them. These are the, the needle parts, not the bendy parts in between. And I thought, these are going to break. I have had them since I was 15 or so. So it's a good, it was more than 20 years there. And I've been very grateful for them. My grandmother got them for me. And when she took me to the local yarn store, that was Heinzelman's Craft and Yarn Store in Provo, Utah. And my grandmother took me there, where she'd been going for years and years, and she signed us both up for a knitting class. In fact, she signed up my aunt, too. This is my aunt who had just recently married my uncle. So she was my new aunt. And so the three of us went to knitting class every week for a while, and we all made a Fair Isle yoke sweater in the round. And mine was not wearable. And my grandmother's, I think, never got finished. And my Aunt Jennifer uh, finished very quickly or, or very well. And she's been, she's continued to knit the same as I have. And she's had a Denise set as well. I don't know if my grandmother got it for her or not. It's like my grandmother to, to do something like that. She tries to make sure people have the equipment for whatever um, artistic or hobby pursuit they're going after. Um, and I've seen my Aunt Jennifer use these needles recently, in fact, well recently, within the past couple of years. In fact, I borrowed uh, a set of needles from her one time when I was back visiting. <laughs> so thank you very much, I appreciate it, Aunt Jennifer. Um, so my set of Denise needles is so old that they are bendy, where they should not be bendy. And I had gotten the Knit Picks catalog in the past. It just kind of showed up at my door. I don't think I actually requested it. And my husband had offered to buy me a set of the interchangeables from Knit Picks for Christmas. Well, it turned out there was something else I wanted for Christmas. I wanted uh, a um, balance toy from Authentic Models. And it is a whale balance toy. And when you push on the whale's tail, um, it's balanced on its fins, uh, which are um, resting on a crossbar on a stand. And so the whale rocks back and forth on its fins. And then other bits of the whale, which of course were not pushed, uh, the, their inertia makes them rock back and forth inside and on the whale and gives it this lovely, eerie, sense of being alive. <laughs> it's a pretty big whale, so it's awesome. Uh, the, the spout of water on the top goes back and forth, and then this eye, this big, creepy, staring eye rolls back and forth and back and forth inside this whale's head. I love this whale. And that whale took up all my Christmas money uh, from my as a gift from my husband. And in fact, I gave him an extra $30 or so to pay for it because I really wanted it and we had only allocated a certain amount to use for Christmas presents for, for each other that year. So no nitpicks needles. Well, I finally saved up enough to just get them for myself and it was a crisis. I needed to knit something. Uh, I had this urge to knit something and my needles were going to break. So I had to have new needles. And I was trying to decide whether I wanted the rainbow wooden ones or the metal ones. The, I think they're aluminum or something like that. 
my sister uh, had just received from her mother-in-law um, the set of the rainbow wooden ones for Christmas. And I used to really love bamboo needles. I thought that would be the only kind I would get besides my Denise interchangeables. For a while, or at, at one point, I did get some metal circular needles, not interchangeables, in a smaller size because that was the only kind of that size that I could get in circulars. But it was a ferrule pattern I was trying to work with, and I wasn't used to using such tiny needles, and the yarn just kept slipping back and forth, and I just hated it. And so I thought, I don't like metal needles. I'm only going to stick with the bamboo. Well, lately, my Denise interchangeables have been hard to knit with, not just because they're bendy, but because they hold on to the fabric. They hold on to the hoop, to the loops, as I'm moving the um, fabric across. So I'm using the needles and knitting across a row. So I end up having to push a lot harder than I thought perhaps I would be able to do or would need to do if I had metal needles. And I read a review of the Knit Picks needles online, and they, whoever it was, I don't remember who it was, somebody was saying that they were really, really fast to work with, and that you didn't have a lot of control, but you'd be really fast. And I thought, you know, I bet I knit well enough now, after 20 years, um, that I could handle the metal needles. So I will try them. And if I don't like them, I'll just pop them back in the carrying case and in the box and send them back. So I ordered my uh, my Knit Picks interchangeables, the metal kind, the full set for sizes 4 to 11, and they got here and I whipped them out of the case right away and set them up and started trying out knitting a couple things just to see how they went. And I loved it. It was so smooth and yet I did still have control. and. Okay, the points were sharp, and I'm one of those who likes to push on the point of the the knitting needle as I'm moving the fabric across the needles. So after a couple of times of hurting myself, ow, it really hurt, <laughs> I decided to, you know, I, I tried to knit without pushing on the needle, and I, that seemed possible most of the time, but sometimes I really just needed to push that needle down. And so I decided I would just push down by putting my finger on the side of the point of the needle. So right from the apex, from the tip, down to the, the whole shaft of the needle, there's that slanty part. And I would put my finger on the slanty part and use that to push. And you know what? That works great. And I adjusted to it really well. I can do it almost without thinking now. And I just adore my Knit Picks circular needles. They're fabulous. And I am going to order the ones on the low end and on the top end of the spectrum as well. And I'm so looking forward to getting the 47-inch cable so I can start knitting socks and things um, as I have been doing with two circular needles, uh, just with one. Woo! So happy. So anyway, I've been using these wonderful needles to knit a sweater from Interweave Knits, and I've been buying Interweave Knits for a while, and for the past couple of years, my mother-in-law has paid for my subscription to Interweave Knits. That's her Christmas present to me. How lovely, don't you think? Oh, Interweave Knits last year, and then this year it's Threads, but I'm still getting Interweave Knits, and I don't remember if we've paid for it or what, <laughs> but I'm getting it. <laughs> So the pattern I'm doing is out of the Fall 2004 uh, issue, and it is a sweater by Joe Sharp, who was highlighted in this issue. It's the Silk Road Cardigan. Now, I have a problem. I don't have a lot of money to knit with, and yet I knit pretty fast, not, not super fast, but pretty fast, and I have to have enough yarn to keep me going. I can't be spending $80 on yarn for a sweater. I just, I don't have that much extra money. So I've been going to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and Hobby Lobby, for any of you who may not be in the continental United States, I don't know if they're out in Alaska or Hawaii, Hobby Lobby is actually a great little store. They have all kinds of hobby and art supplies. 
Um, going up into the moderately nice quality, uh, they have Lion Brand yarn and some other kinds of yarn, as well as Red Heart, which I'm not a fan of um, because it's so stiff. And I don't like working with yarn that is stiff, that hurts my hands, and that when you get it done, stands up by itself. Uh, <laughs> actually, one of my other grandma, <laughs> my mother's mother, she crocheted me a vest one time out of Afghan yarn, so something like Red Heart yarn. And she measured me and made sure it was going to all come out. I think I was around 12 or so at the time. Didn't really want a vest, but she made it for me anyway. And when, she, when it got done, I wriggled into it so that I could show her that yes, it fits, and she had done a good job. And then I said, it feels like a suit of armor. And she says, what do you mean? I said, I think this could stand up by itself. And she said, no. And I said, I bet it could. And I wriggled out of it and stood it up on the table. <laughs> and it did. It stood up as if there was a person inside it. <laughs> so that's why I don't like to, to work with Red Heart yarn. I think if you're going to do things that need to stand up on their own, great. <laughs> Go use it. <laughs> Otherwise, mm, not a fan. But Hobby Lobby does have other kinds of yarn. I didn't get Lion Brand this time. I got, I think it's a Hobby Lobby um, proprietary band. It's called I Love This Yarn. It's an acrylic and worsted weight, I believe. And I felt it and it was very soft. And then I used it on a couple other things and it actually has a pretty, you know, pretty decent drape. It's not wonderful like a linen or, or bamboo, but it's, a, it's decent. And it didn't hurt my hands. It's been pleasant to work with. So I thought I would use up uh, the end of a, of a skein of yarn uh, on that and then add to it as needed. And that's, that's the other kind of, I know it's, it's a, an evidence of, of corporate heinousness that, that they can put out the exact same shade of yarn and you don't need to worry about dye lot that much. And for the most part, I really am, <laughs> I really am concerned about sustainability and, and environmental stewardship and all of that. I really am, but I can't do it all at once. I I can't make that change all at once. I just don't have the money to make all of the changes and still make my life happen the way it needs to, especially since I have to work with my husband, who is a wonderful man, but who is not all excited about taking care of, of the environment and the animals and the people the way that I am. He's mostly interested in making sure we can take care of ourselves, that we can be self-sufficient, self-sustaining which he has every right to do. I mean, really, we do need to take care of ourselves first. So that's where I work, in the liminal space between being able to fulfill the ideal of being a good steward of the planet uh, and the other people and things around us and being able to be good stewards of ourselves. You can look up li liminal space in a book called From Ritual to Theater, the Human Seriousness of Play by Victor Turner, and I'll put that on the show notes, which, of course, can be accessed at avocado knits, all one word, dot podbean dot com. So avocado like the fruit, knits like knitting, dot pod like pea pod or bean pod, and then bean as in a bean dot com. Okay, so I'm making a Silk Road cardigan, and I've actually decided to alter the pattern a little bit to use a different design in the body of the sweater. Basically, it's a knit two pearl one rib for the whole sweater, and it looks very elegant in the, the um, yarn that Joe Sharp chose to knit it in. Excuse me while I look it up again here. Um, it's a blend of wool, silk, and cashmere. Uh, that is lightweight and pleasingly soft to the touch. Well, I have this yarn from Hobby Lobby and it doesn't drape exactly that way. So I'm looking for a different kind of pattern to make it more interesting, but that would have about the same pull uh, as a Knit 2 Pearl 1 rib. And I found this gorgeous pattern. It's a cable pattern and it's in a book called Beautiful Knitting Patterns by Gisela Klopper. And it is on, actually on the cover of the book. It's the one that's in the center 
on the bottom. It looks like twigs or vines. It's on page 48 in the body of the book. So I've been using that cable pattern instead of the Knit 2 Pearl 1 rib. And at first I was a little nervous that if once I got up over the shoulders and was knitting it upside down, <laughs> you know, basically when you look at it, that it would look bad. But I don't really think it's going to look bad. I think it's going to look fine. So that's been working out really well. And now it's time for Naval Criminal Investigative That's right, I said rats. It's hard fighting crime when you're a rat. People just don't take you seriously. Just because you can't stand up on your hind legs for more than a few seconds at a time. And you have a long tail that reminds some people of a snake. Life just ain't fair. But when you're a rat, you've already been kicked around and thrown down so many times Nothing surprises you anymore. That said, it's still particularly cruel when the one person you depend on to understand you, to see what you need, to be there for you when no one else is willing to stand by, when that one person takes you up in her arms, sneaks you into the bathroom, and plops you unceremoniously in a tub full of warm water. The indignity. You ever played whack-a-mole with three wet rats in a bathtub? <laughs> you gotta try it. Okay, boys. We're gonna have that. Whack-a-mole begins, and every time you hear this sound, that's me, whacking a mole. Come on. Third rat is still on my back. Oh, I just got it. My particular rats, you see, have figured out just how hard they have to launch themselves in order to barrel up out of the water and up onto the edge of the tub where they can scramble for freedom. But rat liberation is not in my plans for the day. <laughs> I intend to wash them, to get them clean, and in order to do that, I've got to keep them in the tub. This means that whenever they launch themselves up, they barrel out of the water, I have to be there with a cupped hand to scoop them out of the air and land them right back where they started. Poor rats. And they're swimming around, getting used to the water. This is, I think, the third or fourth time in the bath. Oh, good swimmer. Tony's such a good swimmer. Yeah. And that's Gibbs there, whining. Oh, he's, he's being pitiful, hoping that I'll let him out. Glasses got get them to stay in and and they're moving around in the water enough that they get clean. Because um, they're really hard to hold on to when they're wet. <laughs> so I've tried bathing that before, like with just a little bit of water and patient, so it does not work. At least not for me. 
and uh, I thought I'd do three of them in rapid succession. Ugh. But if I just put them in the tub for a little bit with quite warm water, and push them back in whenever they jump out. And after quite a short time, really, they get all clean. And they smell so nice. And they don't have poop embedded in their tails anymore. Not on their tails. In their tail fur, I should say. So it's really not that that bad an experience for me. But it is a scaredy rat. So he whines and cries about everything. like, besides the fact that they're sopping wet, it's like 
nothing ever happens. Accepts that now they're clean for a little while until I have to do it again. I suppose this is what comes of keeping pets that lie around in their own poo. They're awfully sweet, though, especially when they're out fighting crime. And that's it for this episode of Naval Criminal Investigative Rats. That's right, rats. Well, the time has come, as they say, to say goodbye. In honor of Der Vampire, or Wampire, however you want to say it, and Twilight, I'm going to leave you with the song Shapeshifter by The Ease Down. As always, you can find information about all of the music included in this podcast, as well as other references, on the um, show notes site at avocadonits.podbean.com. Now, since I haven't read any of the Twilight books, I don't know if Edward is the sort of vampire who can shapeshift. But it's kind of a metaphor anyway, so just go with me on this. And while you're listening, how about knitting a little something?